0: All right. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Meet the Masters. Today is November 16th. Today I'm joined by Master C. Donald Weinberg. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me.
1: It's a pleasure. Two bald guys.
0: (laughs) That's right. Uh, How have you been lately? I haven't had, oh, actually, I did see you recently. Um, I got a chance to see you at U.S. Nationals briefly. Uh, how are things for you?
1: Things are absolutely excellent. Um, my wife and I have managed to avoid any uh, infections, and we are good companions to each other, so it's been a good year, oddly enough.
0: <laughs> that, that That's always helpful to have someone that you enjoy being around, uh, to be around. <laughs> <It's> wonderful <laughs> Um Have you had the opportunity to I, I, uh, do some teaching with, I know you're up in New Jersey. Are you still teaching regularly?
1: Uh, yes, I am. Uh, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday.
0: Excellent. And how are the how are the classes going up there?
1: The classes the classes are going well. We're we're a martial arts studio that teaches more than one martial art, uh, and my primary responsibility is karate. Uh, and it, it's going very well. We expect to have two black belt candidates. Uh, testing in april
0: that's excellent that's great news i always love to hear that um we already have some people saying hi uh Lindsay from uh the uk she says good afternoon from a chilly 50 degrees uk uh <laughs> our friend master uh daniel marco says Tung sue and <laughs> grandmaster strong says great to see master weinberg in this interview so nope we got a few people checking in which is always fun. Uh, Yes. Like I was telling you, I, we've been doing this. You're actually interview 75 for me, which is pretty exciting. Um, we've, it's fun to be able to connect with people from all over the world, uh, just from the comfort of your own home.
1: <laughs> yes, indeed.
0: <laughs> One of the things we didn't realize we had at our fingertips until the pandemic uh, thrust it into our hands. <laughs>
1: well, you know, the pandemic has taught us a lot of lessons, not all of them bad.
0: No, I agree. Did you have to do any um, pivots as far as teaching in that time? Did you go to, to Zoom at all? Or uh,
1: I did Zoom. I did some Zoom teaching. Our our studio uh, closed because the facility we used had locked us out. Right. So um, we did some Zoom teaching and uh, we did some outdoor teaching. But primarily, it was a uh, it it was a closed facility our studio population went down considerably and we're building back up at this point
0: good that's good to hear how long have you been reopened
1: um almost seven months
0: oh okay so it hasn't been long
1: no no it hasn't been long at all wow it was I think we were allowed back I'm sorry it's less than seven months we were allowed back in April and so we've been open only since April so it's probably what Yeah. About six, seven months.
0: Yeah. Gotcha. Wow. Uh, Cause we reopened back in June of last year. So you weren't kidding where you uh, (laughs) were spending a lot of quality time with your, uh, your lovely wife. (laughs) I was indeed. (laughs) Uh, Awesome. Uh, I, we've got so much to talk about. So I want to get started Um, since this is primarily a martial arts uh, podcast how did you get your start in the martial arts, sir? I, I actually don't know that uh, answer. To that story.
1: Well, it's a it's a very strange story. Actually, I was in the college, in the gym lifting weights when a uh, a friend of mine who worked in the college's administration, Dennis Capriccio, I don't know what yes. him. I do. Said, Donald, we have a karate class in your faculty, and we need one more for the instructor to get paid. So, will you? Just sign your name and stay in the class. And I said, Dennis, how long do I have to do this? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, six weeks. I said, six weeks and one second, I am gone. <laughs> and that was in 1994. I was 56 at the time. So I started really late. And, uh, and I was probably the worst karate student known to mankind in the history of world Tung I am the Barishnikov of terrible students. <laughs> one, the instructor said to me at one point, Mr. Weinberg, I don't know what to tell you anymore. <laughs> and I, was, I was pretty clear that I was you know, on, the, on the extreme edge of, of incompetence, giving it a new definition. Uh, but it, it was for me a very important thing uh, to do. Oddly enough, not for itself, I taught students in a community college for the most part. I taught in graduate schools as well, Penn and Rutgers and Drexel. But my students were people who were generally not accustomed to learning, to the rigors of of how you learn something. And they were rather, it struck me, easily daunted. Hmm. So I decided as a project for my soul to try to learn something for which I was ill-equipped by nature of flexibility, and native talent, because I felt that I wanted to duplicate their experience. In other words, to immerse myself in something for which I had absolutely no preparation, something for which I was, shall we say, the least likely candidate. So I stayed and I learned some very interesting things. One, go to class, very important. Two, persevere. Three, ask for help when you need it, and that that led me to the reason why I stayed in Tongstergo. When I asked for help, I got it, and the people who helped me were just such decent and worthwhile human beings, and <clears throat> non-critical. What do you need? And so they uh, and so they provided a cadre of people whom. I have continued to like over the years. And I stayed in Tang Suo because I liked the people so much, one. And the quality of the organization was such that it became the fondest place for me to go when I met other people. Just good souls working together. Uh, people with PhDs and people who drove buses. And the only thing that mattered was, are you a decent human being? I thought that was the American ideal as well as what the association described itself as being and actually was as opposed to many of the associations that I belong to who described themselves as being something and then turned out to be somewhat less to be kind.
0: You said you you started to kind of get the mindset of dealing with something that you're not particularly good at. Did you, you feel like you accomplished that goal of, of kind of seeing things from another point of view as far as being able to relate to students as they came in?
1: Yeah, I did. It was very helpful to me and to them. And I, And I would tell them the story of my experience in Tang Soo <laughs> I would tell them that I am the Barishnikov to incompetence. <laughs> so if there was a star of incompetence, yay, here I was. And <clears throat> I said, this is my experience. And for much of the time, I was the worst student in the room, and for quite a while. And, and I said to them, from this I developed the formula. One, go to class. Two, persist, just do the homework and persist, whatever that meant. And three, ask for help. So I used, I adjusted my office hours at the college so I could be available before classes start. I was in classes started at, at uh, eight. I was in at 7.15. Any student who came in early could get a half hour. Um, I held office hours at 12.30 to 1.30 so that students in the afternoon, one class or another could find their way in. And then I held... St- I held office, I was at 3.30 when pretty much the uh, college shut down, except for laboratories. So what I learned was that I had an obligation to be of help as well as ask for it. And help is a very interesting thing. You don't help someone at your convenience, you help someone at their convenience. And, that, and I reordered that. So it, it, it was very good. It affected the last 25 years of my teaching.
0: I, yeah, I, I like that thought process and, um, I, you know, I try to do that personally where it, it's harder, especially, you know, when you have kids and you just want to get out, get, uh, get there and then get, get home. But yeah, I'm sure you, you had very appreciative students when they were able to fit, you know, you and your, in their schedule,
1: um, yeah we had it we had a good time i have some very interesting stories about the students um, and it was it it was just such a pleasure to be of service to people in a way that they wanted and needed at a time when they could make it happen I, and i i think that's what that has guided also my instruction in karate if the uh, if the students need me and I can't make it to Saturday class. I've held Sunday classes. I've held uh, Monday evening classes when when uh, the school isn't open. I came in early at two o'clock at times. If, 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 we, if we say we are dedicated to the martial arts and our job as, as instructors is, is to carry it forward, then we've got to hold a parade on streets where people want us to march.
0: So, Do you remember when you first got the chance to help out with classes, like when you were finally asked? (laughs)
1: Um, First of all, um, I felt, again, am I really qualified to do this thing? (laughs) I was a blue belt at the time, and uh, I was at Master Gordon's studio, and he needed somebody to cover the afternoon classes because he was involved elsewhere. Uh, And... So I covered the afternoon classes and thought, well, we'll see how it works out. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it worked out. It worked out reasonably well. Um, but to be honest with you, I didn't feel. I didn't feel comfortable in my, tongsudo knowledge until I was, oh, a few years past samdan. Um, what I did, like, like all instructors, I taught the way I had been instructed, and, and, and adhered pretty much to that. Um, and occasionally, would would where I saw something where the instruction wasn't working, I would I would adapt it. But it wasn't until that time as a uh, middling samdan that I felt comfortable in merging my own insights with that knowledge base and, and, and uh, history of my own instruction uh, to do what I thought was was a better job, not better than somebody else, but a better job in my skin as an instructor.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with that assessment. Personally, I'd I still look back and I've been teaching right around blue belts so about the same as you. And I just look back at those days and even, even as, a brand new Samdan thinking that I was pretty good and looking back now and just realize how far I've come it's 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 not comical but it's amusing that the fact that like you know you you have you put yourself on a pedestal and you think that you're here but you're really here (laughs) and it, it takes it takes experience and time to realize that
1: well Fortunately, I had people like you. I would, I would look at you doing high kicks and Aaron doing high kicks and kicks and comment, "Others, my leg hasn't been that high since I was on the third rung of a ladder." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and, and and that that's that's important. We we all need humbling experiences. I used to think that I was pretty smart, you know. Get those, I'd get those. i get those days at college where, boy, I really know this stuff. And I play some Beethoven, and I think, not, nah, not nah, that's real genius. That's not me. <laughs> Take step back. So, we need to reset our our sense of ourselves.
0: So, uh, you said you started when you were fifty six. Did you get comments from from friends and family? Like you're doing, you you started what?
1: <laughs> yeah, I've had that throughout my throughout my career. As how old were you? What? And um, and uh, I've, but I've enjoyed it. And yeah, and, and so my, my wife who who studies yoga, uh, and and is is just so flexible. I mean, it's as if she's made of rubber. Uh, and and so we both involved ourselves in in some ex- external um, <clears throat> project, physical, I say physical fitness, but it's, it, it's beyond that. It's something that is simultaneously physically and intellectually challenging. And, uh, and so over the years, people would, <clears throat> when, I was, when I was a Samdan and I, I went to ask Grandmaster Shin, because I didn't know how do you get to be a Samdan? What, what's the process? And Grandmaster Shin looked at me and said, you too old. <laughs> I said, you too old. <laughs> and I said to him, and, and I, I did 50 push-ups right there. I just dropped the 50 push-ups. Then he looked at me and said, you find mentor. <laughs> and so I did. I found uh, a master Vaughn. And after my first test, the greatest compliment was uh, I was sitting there uh, having lunch at the, at, at the farewell dinner, you know, at the end of the clinic dinner. Grandmaster Shin came by, massaged my shoulders and said, you did it, old man. <laughs> and I thought, wow, wow, what a compliment. That was great. So um, it, 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 I think the, the, prop, the problem with age is that people expect them Expect themselves to be the same over the spectrum of their existences. Be who you are, right? <laughs> and 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 bring that to the art. There's plenty there for everybody.
0: Absolutely, you know, I I always tell people that you're never, you know, oh, I'm too old to start. And and I have some students that are older. I I've, I've referenced you. I remember when I tested for my my red stripe, my master's rank. You were you were testing it at the same time. And I believe you also hold the distinction of, of the the oldest person to to test for rank in World Tongue Sudow for master's rank. Um, you know, so it it's just that I love that age is is just a number, right? Like, it's like Grandmaster Shin told you you're too old and you said, you basically said, I'll show you. I love that.
1: <laughs> so it was, and it's been great. I'm 83 now and I'm still training, and I'm still teaching, and uh, I expect to uh, continue.
0: Absolutely. Item. I've, I've always looked up to you, like, every time leadership class would happen, and then instructor's class, you know, you're always there, training hard and working hard, and you know, no excuses.
1: <laughs> no, and, and again, it's the people, you know, this association has managed to attract so many wonderful souls. It's just such a joy to be among my Sudo colleagues, and 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 that for me ultimately is the greatest reward, is just the people in this.
0: You mentioned Grandmaster Shin, and and he is the person, right? That he's the sure. reason why we do what we do. Sure. Can you just share some some stories uh, if you had any chance to? To spend some time with him and uh, just some memories from re, you know being around him in Region Eight. Um.
1: Yes, I I'll share one of my my one of my favorite stories with him. I had been at a tournament. Um, I was a Sangdan at the time, and I I I knew him, and, and we had spoken casually a few times when I was training at. Uh, at the Shin Studio and Grandmaster Gordon was there. And then I would come for special classes. <clears throat> but I'd been at this and we were still using live swords in Jang Yang. And so I had this live sword and this, and I had just started, you know, the downstroke mm-hmm. and somebody ran across the ring, right in front of the sword. So I he pulled it back and swung around. Master who who's the center judge in the ring, start over, no penalty. I go back, bring it down, and he runs back the other way. And this time I managed to stop the sword entirely. So Master Mamita said to me, you can start again. And I said, no, I'm done. That's it, <laughs> I come close to killing somebody twice with a sword and then I, I went to Grandmaster Shen and I told him a story and some people had injured themselves in the meantime with swords. And I said, and I, I mentioned to him that we might start looking for an aluminum sword where people wouldn't kill each other. And Grandmaster Shen looked at me and said, good idea, You do, and we we over over several years we worked together on the sword. He was he was he would take the sword, examine it, and we thought we had one really good sword. Uh, And he said, so he said he would call up the purveyor of the sword, Um, and the purveyor of the sword wasn't respectful. And he rejected the sword based upon the person's behavior, that he refused to deal with someone who showed no respect. That was a tremendous insight. Here was our leader, probably one of the greatest martial artists in the world. And here was our leader who said that most important is character. And he was a man of integrity, a man of his word. Whatever he said, do, he would do something, he did it. But I hadn't realized, you know, I was so busy with, it, with the physical part of it. I, I hadn't realized the extent, to the extent of his emphasis on character, on what kind of a human you ought to be. And I was very much impressed with that. And then he set, set me off to work on the knife. And in any event, there's a different knife than the one I worked on. But the sword we have is the sword that he selected and the sword maker he selected. That's the interesting part. And the sword maker he selected, a person of character.
0: That's a great story. And, and one that it's like, if you knew Grandmaster Shen, it, it makes sense, <laughs> like it's on brand.
1: <laughs> well, uh, I, In the writing of the book, I read everything he wrote and everything he read and everything he wrote and everything he read that was available. I went through his bookcase looking for books that were underlined so I could get some sense of, of his own reading as well as his own writing. Interesting. And I would say it was half and half that the texts on character and, and integrity and ethics balanced in quantity and quality the volumes on um, technique
0: uh real quick uh master valentin says hello as well as uh uh Savanin tim wagnon from alabama says Tungsu as well so let's go ahead and, and talk about that uh, your involvement with the book um that just got released so congratulations on that um you were co-author with grandmaster strong on the book one more time the philosophy yes so congratulations on that. Um, Thank you. It was wonderful collaborating. How, how did that come about? How did you get involved in the process? Um,
1: I had uh, assisted in the editing of Grandmaster Strong's uh, first volume, One More Time. And we worked together quite closely uh, at, 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 at several points. And at the end of it, um, he remarked that he hadn't quite gotten to the philosophy of it, and that what he had was a biography, but there was an element that was missing. And so we, we would meet from time to time and smile and hug and, you know, be friends. Uh, and then we were driving down the road in Argentina. I think mean, this sounds really odd. We're in a bus in Argentina. And we started talking about it. and. Um, that's the genesis of the book. He said, "Well, let's write it." So we sat. We, we we laid out fifty different scenarios as to how this, how the structure of the book might might work, and then um, I started. I started reading, and, and we divided the work in half. So I would write a bit, I would send it to him, and write a bit, and send it to him, and tell him, "Here's where we are. What do you think?" And actually. The book took on a life of its own. What we thought we would do and what the book said it wanted to do were two different things. And so we just, we just moved through it. The object was to represent the thinking of the Grandmaster behind what he had um, what he what he had accomplished that was visible, physically visible, that that it just doesn't come from nowhere. Um, the other piece of it was that, that Grandmaster Strong knew Grandmaster Shin. Very, very well. And so while I was, um, well, my, my background and my reading had, uh, and education had led me to understand the philosophical underpinnings that uh, he was exposed to culturally, I didn't have the sense of Grandmaster Shin that Grandmaster Strong had so brilliantly done. Uh, indicated in in his first volume and carried forth into the second volume uh, so part of the book was the pleasure of working with grandmaster strong and getting to know grandmaster strong and getting to know grandmaster shin through his eyes so it was it was actually as much as anything a work of love and a work of joy because i had i had two collaborators one who had passed and one who was still here and 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 it was just wonderful to be a part of it. Uh, and, and so our Argentina bus ride of some five hours turned out to uh, turn out to bear fruition. It was just it, it's been a just terrific experience.
0: That's great. It's, uh, you, you seem to be and this this is very much uh, I see throughout the whole association. If you bring something up, you have to be prepared to. <laughs> take uh, ownership of it with yeah. the sword and then with the conversation, uh, whether you realize it at the time or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, but that, that's that's a good thing, because this isn't a top-down organization. It's right. every, Everybody everybody has something to contribute. And if you mention it, yeah, we can do that. Let's do yeah.
0: that. <laughs> Master Onoshita says, great work, sir.
1: <laughs>
0: um here's another one this is good so uh brian ormiston he says good mat good morning masters uh from Clearwater, florida as a senior adult myself 67 uh he's a second degree black belt he's listening with great interest and finding inspiration to continue on with teaching and training tung Su. Uh, yeah great to
1: hear
0: <laughs> yes Brian uh, watches watches along quite a bit, and uh, he's he's down there in Florida. Um, you mentioned that trip to Argentina. Can you share with us some of the some of the places that you've had the chance to go to travel? Uh, I know outside of World Song you you enjoy traveling. Obviously, have haven't done a whole lot lately, but um, share with us some some stories of, of traveling for WTSDA.
1: Traveling for WTSDA.
0: Both, you can,
1: Uh, yeah. Feel free. (laughs) We have a Dutch branch of the family, so we go to Holland every year to be with our cousins, and um, and we have a wonderful time. We also, uh, I, as part of my academic uh, background, I did a lot of um, research in France. I was interested in ancient Roman and medieval. Uh, studies at uh, I was teaching a course in humanities, so a, my my section of that uh, long humanities 101, humanities 102, humanities 103. So I had the 101, the ancient, uh, the ancient, and 102, medieval. And so I would go to France. Fortunately, France capitulated in the Second World War, and then didn't have its entire medieval and Roman infrastructure bombed into oblivion. So we would, uh, we would, uh, Nancy and I would go to France. And there's one very funny story. I found a recre, I, I found an archaeological recreation of a ninth-century medieval farming village. And, and my wife is just a wonder. She's very tolerant of me and my intellectual peregrinations, and I, I figured. Long ago, she should have sent the frying pan flying in my direction. So <clears throat> I'm in the middle of looking at this and finding the remnants of mud and wattle walls, characteristic of the uh, medieval and trying to trace the pathways and looking at the farming. And it started to rain and I didn't understand that. It was raining because they were so interested in what I was looking at. And I have a, and, and I have a picture of Nancy in her red raincoat under an umbrella, absolutely calm and kind as this deluge is coming down because the light is reflecting from the raindrops so you can barely see Nancy standing there with the umbrella. It was a, it was a wonderful farming expedition. Then I dragged it through um, crumbling castles as I was, and I started to climb up the walls of one. And I thought to myself, how am I going to get down from here? <laughs> this is a very high place and I'm clinging to old arrow slots and crumbling holes in the wall. So I finally got down and, and, and she mentioned that she thought she was going to have to get used to the single life again. <laughs> uh, and we, we've traveled to Rome and the Emirates and South Africa and uh, Germany and um, Canada. We so we we've, we've been around just a little bit,
0: and yeah.
1: and it's nice to do that. I <clears throat> I dropped in on one studio in. Um, I dropped in on three studios in South Africa, mm-hmm. and and uh, that was that was very pleasant and enlightening. And um, I tr- have tried time after time to drop in on studios in uh, in Holland, but. For one reason or other, holiday here, nobody home, family business, I haven't yet gotten to the Holland one. <clears throat> there is Tang Soo in Paris, but not world Tang Soo in Paris. And I went to a studio in Paris and it wasn't very satisfying, world Tang Sudo. The one thing that world Tang Soo is it spoils you for every form of other Tang Soo and certainly Taekwondo because of its completeness and its... Um, and the way it embraces martial arts activity and philosophy.
0: And I would add on top of that, um, events, <laughs> whether it's a tournament or a, you know, a clinic, um, their, their events are un, unmatched.
1: <laughs> Our events are, are absolutely marvelous. I get to see people who I really like a lot. Two or three times a year because they're they're from so far away, or I have to travel from far away, and it's just it, it's it's just just so pleasant. And and what we're trying to do is so important that that this karate this karate business. Most of us won't most of us won't use the self defense. Most of us won't have to depend on it. But what it makes of us is so important.
0: I agree. You mentioned uh, getting together. We talked about US Nationals briefly in the beginning, but you got to be a part of the momentous occasion of Grandmaster Strong promoting to ninth degree black Belt. Um, could you share, share with us some thoughts on, on that experience?
1: Uh, yes, first of all, I was honored to be asked uh, and and to be part of something so momentous. Grandmaster Strong and I are, are good friends, and it was, but it's, it's beyond good friend. It, it, I, in the Olympics, you know, they run and they pass a torch, and the next person runs and pass a torch. And irrespective of who's carrying the torch, the torch makes it to the opening fire. And that's what, so if Tang Suro is this torch to be a metaphor, to help carry the torch for a while was a tremendous, tremendous honor to be part of, <clears throat> to be part of the transition of grandmasters without Tang Suro enduring a transition. So it was, it, in many ways and in philosophically, it was, we are continually. That Tang that, that Sudo exists as, as, as an idea in and of itself, as a practice in and of itself. It's not contingent on one person. That, that the body of Tung Sudo and the body of Tung Sudo practitioners is a continuing entity. And this was a celebration of that. Look at all the organizations that fall apart after, after their founding leader or the next one disappears, and, and they turn to be cults of personality rather than institutions in the best sense of that word. Like Harvard is an institution. It doesn't matter who's president, it matters that Harvard remains.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great way to, to, to say it. And uh, I was. I was excited and and pleased to be able to uh, witness that you know the tying on of the belt and the kind of pomp and circumstance of of it all even even in a small intimate setting it was it was uh pretty pretty amazing
1: and by the way to see a wonderful person we've had some remarkable people as grand masters right and to see a re- another remarkable person assume the leadership.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And, and there was a there's a, a phrase in Latin that, that we used to use in, when looking at dean of faculty and and when I was the chair of the faculty and that was "primum inter pares, which literally Francis translates as first among equals. And that's what the grand master is. He's first among equals. There's no pomp and no circumstance and no ceremony. It's, it's all about Tang to know. It's not about personality. And that, that's a tribute to the remarkable people thus far who have been grandmasters.
0: I agree with that. Um, and you saying that would be remiss to not mention Grandmaster Bodwin. Um, did you have the opportunity to, to, to work with him or spend any time with him?
1: Oh, yes, yes. There was a bus ride, also <laughs> in Argentina. <laughs> well, bus rides, <laughs> and we sat together for five hours on another bus ride, and 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 just to, to uh, use a Yiddish word, schmoozed, and and it it was just a delight. We talked about everything in the world. He was a very very funny guy, he would we would. We would tell jokes, and when, and when I was chair of the Publications Committee, I would send summaries of the theses for uh, approval to Grandmaster Strong and Grandmaster Bodwin. And, and some of his emails were just so witty and so charming. He was an insightful, he was an insightful man, and, and, and strong and humble for all his accomplishments. Really, really a good guy. I think I've had the pleasure of knowing now three grandmasters, some better uh, than others, but it's been it has been, it's been a privilege. We, we ought to somehow rather find a way to bottle the essence of our grandmasters.
0: <laughs> 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 well, I, I think you kind of summed it up nicely in the, the first among equals. Um, they've all in their own ways done a very good job of continu- continuing the tradition of, of what we do And I think that Grandmaster Strong will will continue that just as strongly as the other two did. Um, So I I think we're in good hands. We are. Um, One of the things I wanted to talk about and and probably the first time, one of the first times I remember seeing you would be at uh, black belt tests and regional tournaments, uh, collecting funds for the scholarship fund. So I wanted to. Uh, you were the you were the, you were the the resident beggar, uh, yes, as you that's would what say. I called myself. I coined your phrase. Um, and you were just so good at it. Like it, it was one of those is like you had to pick a person to be to to fit the job. Like you were the man for the job. So why why were you the man for that for that job of the um the scholarship fund? <laughs>
1: Oh, you go back to my education. Yeah. I, I did all of my undergraduate education part time, and all of my graduate education part time. And the reason was I didn't have any money. Um, I did. Uh, I worked as a as a as a cook and a waiter and whatever it was necessary to get myself through undergraduate school. Um, I ended up cooking at the United Nations for their catering service uh, at one point, and you know it, it, a seven year four year degree teaches you a lot and and i i went every summer at two courses here one course there and i managed to cobble together a degree in in seven years and i thought you know that that could discourage people and what what i wanted to do in this was give people a chance and at the time we gave $1,500, uh, two $1,500 scholarships a year. And $1,500 didn't cover the first year of um, community college. And what I, my goal was to raise enough money to cover the first semester of community college, books included. Uh, and then I thought that one person wasn't enough, that what we should do is try to give two. So within a couple of years, I became a very competent beggar. I, my, my routine remark was, I had two remarks. One, I am your friendly neighborhood, world tongue pseudo, region eight beggar. And I need your money. And if they wouldn't do it, I said, you don't want to see an old man cry. This would be tragic. <laughs> so those, that, that was my standard approach. people. People were amused by it and, and, and would seek me out for years. Uh, and and I, I got relationships with, with people who donated $20 a year, $10 a year, a dollar there. It didn't matter. It, it also meant that they felt some connection with world Tang you know, and I wanted to make that process more approachable. So in the end, uh, before Mr. Summers inherited the position, we were giving away um, four $3,000 scholarships a year, And that was at the time one semester plus books of a community college. People, I felt if they had one semester without financial worries, that would be enough to to cause people to want to go, want to continue. And and education is so important. And so that's one piece of, but there's a second piece of it. the association claimed, and rightly so, that it was interested in the whole person. And this was part of our commitment to the whole person. And uh, we, we want what's best for you as you see it. And we're going to do everything we can in every way to make sure you get what you need.
0: That's awesome. Well, uh, I feel like we should bronze that that bucket of yours. <laughs> Now, people claimed it was glued
1: to my hand. You know what <laughs> it was. I, I was looking for a bucket. It was my first time uh, and I couldn't find any nope the uh, master uh, uh, master Home Jack who had done it before didn't have any buckets. Uh, and it was it was before a uh, competition and I went to Kmart and found pretzel buckets <laughs> and threw out the pretzels because I needed the bucket so quickly and uh, clean, rinsed them out, dried them out, covered the Joe's pretzel label with a tugsuit hole label. <laughs> and then went around <laughs> with two buckets.
0: <laughs> it, it, was, it gave a great visual because you had this big bucket that had dollars and change in it. It was perfect. Uh, <laughs> and I, I remember we would always, uh, Aaron's just like, just write a check for Master Weinberg for the year. <laughs> That way he doesn't continue to ask us for money. It's like, I would
1: do it at every every you you could not find a child stopped at a lamppost without me getting
0: the money out. <laughs> like, here's your money. See you next year.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you and she were great donors. It was appreciated.
0: Um continuing on that track of the whole person concept. You mentioned it earlier as far as being, you were the chair of the Publications Committee. Um, what what all did that entail? I, I, I know you, you helped go through uh, stuff for people when they submitted their thesis, but was there, I'm sure there was more than just that.
1: Well, um, the purpose to the, the committee had two purposes. The first purpose was to um, help thesis writers actually write their theses. And um, there were some problems with prior theses, which which are obvious difficulties. And what we wanted to do is help people write the kind of theses that, that ought to have been written one and that they wanted to write. So the best way to handle that was to organize and get a group of people to be mentors so that the writer didn't think uh, that he or she was alone. And I would each year mentor about, oh, three to five theses. And the process was, send me what you have. I'll, I'll help with, with a little bit of revision or significant revision of chapter one or chapter two or end chapter two to give you a sense of what this ought to look like and how it ought to go. Um, I'll refer you to some pieces of research that you might need because, after all, I was an academic, and that's what academics do. Um, and I found I found a group of people at uh, initially at Von's Studio because that's where I was. Uh, and I said to Sandy Lipstein and and, uh, and uh, Wayne Rosenkranz and uh, Frank Altieri and uh, Dave, a painter, I said. Uh, you are now members of the Publications Committee, and here's your assignment. <laughs>
0: and,
1: and so we got some other volunteers and, and uh, Mike and Osha joined us and, and uh, Susan Strom and Jeanette Artika. And so there are a bunch of us then who could um, work on the publications from the, from the writers end. But there was a second piece and that hasn't quite come to fruition yet. And, and some of that uh, may be uh, attributable to me um, that to take all the collective wisdom of the various theses and make them available to everybody. And what cued this was um, a thesis written by um, Master Vaughn, and it was on organizing a special needs curriculum. And so he wrote that and I had the pleasure of editing it. Um, It was really a remarkable document that if you wanted to start a special needs class, here was the handbook. You didn't have to do anything else. Just pick this thing up and go with it. Um, And when I went to headquarters, I read every thesis that had ever been written. Wow. And, um, And that was still in the archives. A lot of it had disappeared, but I read everything. Um, and some of these, some of these were truly uh, extraordinary. There was one by, um, um, there was one, I can't remember the author, on, on bang use. And it was brilliant, the history of bombs and weapons. There was a great deal of that. There was uh, material from Master mamidas on forms. And I felt this stuff has got to see the light of day. It's really too important to just hang around. So uh, we experimented a great deal with establishing a database and a, and a, uh, a storage system, but it never quite came to fruition. And uh, I, I would like to see that happen because the collected wisdom and the collective insight and experience of the masters in this organization is a remarkable record. It is remarkable and it's just languishing in headquarters and, 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 and deserves Broader, broader use and and um, and great accessibility.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you think about the amount of time spent on any one thesis, I you know, for I I couldn't even tell you how long it took me to write my own. Um, you know, like you said, you 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 put you put so much into it. Um, and I've had the opportunity to read some, but it's mostly because I I asked and pestered and asked for a copy and finally got one emailed to me. Um, but yeah, you're right. It would be nice to be able to uh, have more access. So, that are they? Are they? Do they have their de- a dedicated room, or this is just kind of in storage? Or
1: a lot of them are electronic now. Um, okay, and uh, and some were uh, digitized and. Uh, some remain in, in hard copy, uh, and the only way to get access to them now currently is to literally visit headquarters or do what you did, which is call somebody up and say, "Send me your thesis, or I will uh, cover you with lip cream at the next time <laughs> <laughs> we, we at the next time we meet." But the, the the material there is is some of it is extraordinary. Some of it is is less than extraordinary, but quite useful. I mean, there, there's no need, let's assume that, that you want to build something there's in, in, in your studio, build a program in your studio. If it's not exactly what you want. You can get enough information and enough insights to trigger your own creativity by reading what exists on the subject.
0: Right. Just curious what you wrote yours on.
1: Oh gosh,
0: which one? <laughs> I don't know. You t- t- uh, what was the first one on?
1: Uh, the first one was on an analysis of language. Um, and uh, that, that, was, that was driven, um, first of all, I have a lot of coursework in it, so it was natural. Uh, but it was driven by people not listening to other people. And if you listen to students carefully, those who, those who are unwilling to do X or Y and you, you, they really need to do it or they really need to learn it or they can't learn it for some reason that is physical or psychological, initially you'll get clues in what they say, but people don't reveal things about which they're sensitive easily. So I wrote a guide to understanding language, that if you listen to someone carefully enough, you'll get what they're saying, but not articulating. And there are ways of getting it nicely. I, I was a hostage negotiator uh, for a prison system and um, that helped me get very sensitive to language, but uh, other than my coursework, but in, in studios, especially among young people, teenagers and youngsters, you'll, you'll hear things that don't make any sense, but there's sense to be made of. And so that was my first thesis. Uh, my second thesis was an assessment of um, East Asian philosophy, the history of East Asian philosophy as it impacted martial arts. Uh, and that was particularly Chinese martial arts and Japanese martial arts, and there was some Korean martial arts. And, and the reason why East Asian philosophy was not included very frequently, if at all, in, um, in current Western martial arts practitioning.
0: Hmm. Did you find any overlap uh, in doing the research uh, for Master, the book about Grandmaster Shin on the philosophy?
1: There, there, was, there was some overlap. I guess there was about, oh, 15, 20% overlap. But my, my thesis went in a different direction uh, than, the, than the book because the, uh, the thesis tried to examine why why martial arts in the West did not include a philosophical component went anywhere in, in East Asia, if you studied martial arts, you're going to be reading Confucius and Lao Tzu and Mencius and the Vedas. I mean, there was an enormous reading list. And, and it, was, it was integrated into a philosophical curriculum. So when we talk about the Shaolin Temple, everybody thinks of them as martial artists, but they were also Buddhist scholars. You don't get to be a monk without reading Buddhist texts.
0: Gotcha. So you you obviously have a, um, I guess a passion would be a good word a passion for history, uh, in in a in a way right uh, researching um, how people maybe how people did it uh, before us. Yes. Um, go ahead.
1: And it has, and. Um, I'm going I didn't know you. You knew that about me, but I have uh, just begun research into a process that the Japanese called called bunkai. Yes, sir. And that exists in in Korea called "bunchi,? Yes, sir. And what that is is a process of trying to understand forms. As they were originally taught, not as performance, which is what we largely teach, but as a martial art. So if you consider, let's, let's take piano saram. Um, uh, and you know when I look at it, I see this very high kick, and this hand going out. And then elbow strike. but you've already kicked the person away that you tried to strike. How could that possibly be? And if this is a back fist, how indeed do you get your hand behind the person's head? So clearly it has to be a very low kick that causes the person to fall, your hand doesn't go back, it goes straight out to catch the back of the head to bring it to the elbow. So bunkai, that's just an illustration, the object of bunkai is to let the form speak, and Grandmaster Shin said in his first volume that you should do the form until it's a meditation on itself. And so my, my historical interest is to, my interest historically is to get back to the origin and, and the original application of the form. If I, as I understand it correctly, the form is a, the form is a chapter and in the chapter are pages. And each, a form may contain 10 or 12 pages, each of those pages being a discrete technique. And if those techniques are to be understood, they have to be functional. And I I watched Master Khan explain a form by saying, well, you can use the form as the platform to do this or platform to do the other thing. But Bunkai says that it's all in the form. Whatever is in that form is all you can do. You just have to understand the form. Let the form tell you what it is. And so I have been looking at the forms, performing bunchi chi as it is in, in um, pardon me, in uh, Korean. And what I'm going to do is start to make videos using students of what that form has to be if it is to be a martial arts lexicon and see where that leads
0: and, and that's great and that i i i love that um area i i've done a lot of research on it myself personally um, and I know uh, Master Black and Master Falshnot have as well. Um, and I, for me, I like to have, it, it's, it goes back to the, uh, well, this, this is how I feel, or this is how I interpret it. And that's usually how I face it. Um, but I, I like to have things that I can kind of anchor a move to, whether it's a low block or like you said, the this move or whatever it is. So like, for example, last night we, we took some of the moves from our forms and one steps, I wasn't particularly happy with the, the power that was coming into them. So we did them on the targets and giving, giving them that, you know, it's like, all right, we do this in the air a lot, but if you were to hit someone, you have to hit them with power. You have to hit them with force. Um, you know, or if you are going to hit them, it's it's A, B, or C. So I I I love that aspect of the martial arts. So I'll I'll, I'll be uh, interested to to see your results.
1: Um, it, I'm playing with it now. I I what I'm what I'd like to do is a session on it in uh, in Masters Clinic. Not so much to teach it as to collaborate on it and just take a look at three or four forms and and. There's a phrase in Latin, "Res ipsa loquitur," let the thing speak for itself, and that's what I would like. That's the way I would like to approach forums, is to let them speak for themselves, and then see if I'm listening <laughs> correctly.
0: Well, if I will, uh, I will definitely be there for that uh, that breakout of uh, seminar if you if you do it and. Uh... Even if you do it, if, if you need a guinea pig ahead of time, I'm happy to, we can. Solve, can... you're my guy. That's right. Right. That's basically what this conversation has been. It's, <laughs> there's moments where you you don't realize what you're signing up for. <laughs> you can mark it down. <laughs>
1: <Done>.
0: <laughs> I uh, thank you. We are, uh, we're at a, an hour mark, sir, and I, um, I want to thank you for joining me. I, I appreciate you taking the time to, to chat. I, I love these conversations. You know, one of the things I always say is we, we see each other at U.S. nationals. We would never would have had a, didn't have an opportunity to sit down for an hour and chat about martial arts. So I, um, I cherish these opportunities to get a chance to talk to people in this uh, long form setting. So I appreciate you joining us. Um,
1: You're doing a wonderful thing. When, when all of us, I probably well before you, merge into uh, non-existence or retirement, this will be a marvelous record. And anyone can look at it and say, yes, that's who they were and that's what it is. And this is where we came from. And that's such an important thing. It's, it, you're doing something wonderful and remarkable and, and I'm pleased and honored to be a part of it.
0: Thank you, sir. Any other closing words before we, we finish?
1: Yes. <laughs> As Grandmaster Shin once said, the study of Sudo is endless and that's part of the wonder of it. And I'm having the best time. I was with Master Inosha, by the way, in Chicago recently, and he showed me a technique with his knee in the front stance. And I thought, I never thought of that. We are an endless repository of capability and competence. And it's just such a pleasure to be part of it. And thank you for thank you for asking me.
0: My pleasure, sir. Thank you, everyone, for watching Uh, Tongsu. And we'll see you at the next one. Tongsu.